So, it's so different for everyone. We've heard news from friends who said we are not just limited in our contacts, but we can't even leave our houses. We can't visit fathers, mothers, well, grandparents not at all. We know of people who are discouraged because they're alone. They don't know how to spend the time together. And so we wish all of you encouragement to come straight to you in your rooms. And this is an encouragement that comes from the living God. You are to know there is a God who's faithful and who's there for you. At the same time, we need the living God more than ever before. We need prayer. We need prayer in Germany. I think everyone can agree for their own nation. In Europe, we need prayer. In America, we need prayer. And for many years now, we've been thinking about this, saying, well, Lord, we need something like a national repentance. And now the Lord is leading us into that, because if we don't pray now, when will we? And I was praying about this, and I'm wondering all the prophetic words we've heard, everything that's been said, because you can read on that in the internet, every pastor, every man of God says that. They're writing something about the current situation and there are so many indications, so many prophetic inputs. And you're wondering, you know, what is right? What's the right thing to say right now? But there's one thing that everybody says. We do need prayer according to Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. And at one point I was praying, I think three or four days ago, and I felt, yes, because we had planned of on having that Awakening Fire Conference over Easter, and God's wake-up call to all the nations is so much louder than any Awakening Conference could ever be. But God is calling His people to pray. And now what would happen if we were to spend Good Friday together to pray? Because that's the day when both, both Passover and, and uh, Good Friday fall on the same day. It's so important. It's an important date in heaven. And how about spending this day together in prayer, online, coming together from the north, the east, the south, the west, pastors, leaders, prayer houses from all over the world. You know, theological differences become so small and petty at this time. But we need to get our hearts together and pray. And so let's have this online prayer conference for Germany and pray together according to Second Chronicles 7.14. And there is a, I was joining another conference via Zoom and there was thousands of people there. So that's possible. So I wrote these thoughts to Sister Joela of the Evangelical Sisters of Mary in Darmstadt and Sister Letizia. And I asked them, hey, can you be with us? Can we stand together and they said yes we will join you we'll be there and many many others will join us and we will have we'll ask so many to stand with us side by side and we will only do that and initiate that and then we would desire to have representatives from all the federal states of Germany to stand together to seek God's face to say Lord we cry out to you we repent we turn away from our own ways and seek you and maybe that's quite a good introduction to my message today because I was thinking about it you know what are the prophetic words for this corona pandemics biblical uh, maybe indications or sometimes things get quite mixed, but we find very important indications, and I summed up a few points here. 
So we can also understand where we're at right now. So for instance, Psalm 91, uh, we've heard that over and over again. He who sits under the shadow of the Most High and remains in, under the shadow of his wings says to God, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So it's God's call to come into his presence. Right now, it's a global Shabbat, that's what some people say. A a deceleration. Others point to Haggai 2, verse 6 and 7. I will shake the heavens and the earth so that it truly is a, a time, of, time of global shaking, a time of special revelation and glory of God in this time of shaking. And at the same time, the Lord is also giving a tremendous global harvest at this time. Or another word that kept, keeps coming is Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. God's call to seek his face in prayer. And his call now for the nation, it's time to repent, to turn around, not to miss this Kairos moment. And he says, then I will heal the land if you and once you fulfill those requirements. And then we have had the word of the closed doors. There are some or many good indications for those closed doors. For instance, Genesis 7:16, the door was closed behind Noah during the flood. So these closed doors and borders as a symbol of judgment we can find in Isaiah 26, verse 20 and 21. It says, go and hide behind closed doors until the wrath of God has passed. And at the same time, it's God's offer to find times of grace and mercy behind those closed doors. So the closed doors are also a signal of God's mercy. Another word is found in Luke 17, uh, verses 26 to 30, when Jesus himself speaks about the days of Noah that are an indication of the end-time work of God and that the Son of Man will be revealed. So it's a time of closed doors, but also an amazing, tremendous recognition and revelation of the living God. And also an indication that points to Passover. Passover is so important, which is Exodus 12, verse 22, a prophetic indication of the deliverance from captivity. They withdrew and they took the blood and took a, bu a bunch of uh, hyssop and then they smeared the blood on the lintels of the door and the doorposts and the angel of death had to pass over them and that was the beginning of their deliverance. So what should we do? There are so Im such important words. It's so crucial. And then when we look into the press and media, what are those hallmarks that we just cannot miss? So first of all, it's a, hi a historic break which will change the world. Something like this has never happened before. And it's a deep uh, incision into our social and collective lives. We'll not be able to just resurface in a few months' time and continue as before. It will completely transform our mindset and also the way we treat one another. We don't know yet what these changes will be, but there will be changes. It will change the history of the church and Christians. 
Und wenn man das alles zusammennimmt, dann sieht man, And es if you ist das consider Ende all of this together, you see this is the, the end of the past and it's the beginning of a new era. Und ich frage mich, and I'm wondering, what kind of time will it be? Are we heading for a time of judgment or a time of grace? And when you look at all those different uh, statements and essays, it's always this battle, it's judgment or grace. But when we turn our hearts back to God again, maybe because we realize that our idols and ideologies and ideas, the things that are so important to us, they just did not help. Or will we be like Pharaoh and close our hearts and close them even more and turn away from God in the nation? So that's the question, that's the battle right now. My friends, I am convinced that we are right in the midst of God's end-time work. God has reached out his hand and he wants to show his love and compassion. No question about that. He has reached out his hand. He wants to transform darkness into light. He wants to show himself in all of these tragic things and the terrible images we see in all of, of this need. And his call is all the louder. I have loved you forever and ever. I have drawn you to myself because of sheer goodness. So that is God's loud wake-up call into the nations. And there are two stories in the Bible that you know. And I want to really hear what God is saying at this time. And reading this, I hear, I'm hearing something. And uh, just one thing to let you know in advance, because while I was preparing this message, I looked through other words I collected, because all throughout last year, there kept words kept coming that were preparing us. And I looked in my notes, and in on the 25th of August there was a word that said there will be a storm is coming unlike anything we've seen before and another word it will be storms and threats and crises all around us independently of how disastrous the situation will be in the world but you will be safe in God's presence and through your faith you will do the tremendous works of God and that's where we're at right now so we need to recognize the signs of the time. Many, many years ago, there was a man of God who was very blessed, um, John Molinde, a pastor and teacher from Uganda. And he introduced and released 24-7 prayer here in our country. He brought lots of blessing. And he said, when the collapsed morals, pornography, drugs, divorce, rape, and crime, once that is accepted and considered normal, and what used to be uh, despised is suddenly accepted by the government, society and the church now and even pastors and leaders, then it is God's time for a nation. So that is the time when the measure of sin is complete. And that's the moment when God says, I have numbered your sin, I've weighed them, and I've found you wanting. And that is the time when kingdoms are shaken. And it also is the time, my friends, 
When God will begin in his own house, in his church, he will begin with us as believers. It doesn't matter what church or free church you belong to, what denomination. God is asking something of us at this time. And sometimes we can be surprised about the great silence that you witness. I am surprised that there are so few people who say something about this state. There is so little sense of direction, and I believe God is asking something. Why did you stop speaking about sin in the past years or even decades? I believe God is asking us. Why do you only want to see the beautiful uh, sides of the kingdom of God, wanting to preach them, but you stopped preaching judgment, or you started downplaying the judgment of God? Why have you stopped speaking about a holy life that is pleasing to God? And I am thinking that God might be asking us, why did you actually give more honor to men than to the living God? I had promised uh, you to give you two stories from the Bible. So there are two stories here. One is the story of Naaman. And when I started speaking uh, and preaching, uh, that was the first story I heard from Reinhard Bonnke. And I'm actually surprised to find how fitting it is for this time. So Naaman lived at the time of the prophet Elisha and he was healed from leprosy. And I see that he does not only represent us personally but also the nations and he will become a biblical key for you and the second story is the king of the story of King Belshazzar who lived about 250 years later he was the successor of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon by that time Israel had been divided Jerusalem was destroyed and the people of Israel was led into exile and now Babel had dropped into a really crucial crisis. Enemy troops were at the borders, the Persians, the Medes, and the kingdom of Babel was about to collapse. And in that time of crisis, something happens. And so King Belshazzar can, teach, can teach us an important, crucial lesson for, for our time here. So this is the king of uh, the, the story of King Belshazzar's uh, feast, which we see in Daniel 5. It's a very moving story. Let me read a few verses and then repeat the story again. So King Belshazzar was celebrating a huge banquet with a thousand of his uh, best people. So there were the nobles, the authorities, everyone was there. And then when they were drunk, he had the golden and silver goblets and vessels brought that his uh, father had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And let me read a few verses here, starting in verse 22. You, Belsatza, were uh, 
have not humbled yourself, though you knew all these things. Instead, you have set yourself against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets of the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see, hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene Mene Tekel Parsin. And this is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed on scales and found wanting. Per Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And we know that even in the same night, Belsatza, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And I'm wondering, what actually was it that made this so dramatic? They took the golden vessels from the temple and they drank from them the silver vessels. And what kind of vessels were they? We read this here, they were taken from the temple. Nebuchadnezzar had robbed them from there and he had abused them a long time ago. They had been in Babylon for a long time. People had been doing things with them. The golden and silver vessels of the temple were in some part of the treasure in Babylon. And now Belsatsar had this idea, bring me those golden vessels, the silver vessels. And I was wondering, well, where did they come from, these golden and silver vessels? And you know, that's the story of Pesach, because this gets us back to Pesach, Passover. And you can read that in Exodus 3.22. Everyone from Egypt was to ask their neighbors for golden and silver vessels and for clothing. And the Egyptians were to give that to the people of Israel before they left. And then they walk and carry those golden and silver vessels and they cross the Red Sea. So they're laden with treasure. And later, when they were in Israel, these golden vessels were still there, they built the temple, and I imagine that these vessels were then given for offerings to honor God, and then they became part of the temple treasure. And they also speak about vessels of bronze or copper. These were then the vessels that you used in service. And everything that was there from the temple, it was holy to the Lord. We read that in Joshua 6.19. But all the silver and gold, along with the bronze uh, things are to be consecrated to the Lord to be taken into the temple treasure. So everything belonged to God. So that was the way of the golden vessels. First of all, Egypt, it was like a ransom paid for them. And then it became part of their wealth when they were crossing the desert. And then the golden vessels became part of the sacrifices because they offered it up in the temple. And everything was for the glory of God. But even though those vessels had been robbed in Jerusalem a long time ago and they had been in ba Babylon, they had not attracted God's judgment. Nebuchadnezzar was not judged because of them. 
But then, once Belshazzar came, and he was celebrating his big feast, and he mocks God, and he has no respect, he mocks everything that's holy to God, and then when he takes those vessels to worship his own idols and honor them, with these vessels, God's judgment on him has come. And suddenly there is a hand that appears to write his sentence on the wall. And somehow this reminds me of today. Because we have stopped preaching on the holiness of God. And somehow we have desecrated the precious vessels of his word, the precious vessels of services and worship and communion, God's vessel of prayer. Somehow we have abused them. Yeah, we have them as part of our idolatry of uh, wealth and prosperity, where we magnified people above God. Opinion of men were higher to us than the word of God and our reason was above the word of God and above following him. Everything that we were able to do, we mixed it with those vessels. And somehow we were like Belshazzar. What is holy to God, we took and abused it for us. We neglected it. Second Timothy, it says, in a big house, you don't only have golden and silver vessels, and all of a sudden, this word is applied to you and me, the house of God. But there are also vessels of wood and clay, some for honorable use and others for dishonorable use. What kind of vessel are you? So I wish you and us that we would have revelation and we would be able to face ourselves in the truth of God. Lord, am I such a vessel for your honor? Could you use me? Or did I mix all of it like Belsatcha did? So God measures people and nations according to whether they give honor to him. And this is also what we see in this story. And then we take a look at the second part of the story. So they drank wine from it, it says in the verses, in verse 23. But the one God who holds your life and ways in his hand, you did not give honor to him. And then we see these words, mene, tekel, counted so I have counted and numbered the days of Babylon and they are over I have weighed you and you were found wanting because instead of honoring the living God you worshipped your own idols people yourself, your money, maybe even your humanistic ideas, your faith or ideology, you place it above God and therefore the judgment is Paris, parted, divided. So the kingdoms of this world will go against one another and they will be divided. And this is it's not only talking about political kingdoms, but also our own kingdoms, whether that's economic kingdoms or churches, kingdoms of this world. My friends, this is the time, and I'm convinced that God is 
currently weighing us behind the closed doors of our houses to see whether we are found wanting. And whatever will actually weigh down the scales, what will make the difference with him is whether we give honor to him. And so the question is, how can I give him honor? And I wrote down a few points. I prepared a, a presentation, a slide here. I can honor God by recognizing that God is one. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God, who I have led you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You shall not have any other gods beside me. I recognize that God is one God. And I recognize that God and his word is the measure and principle for my life. For instance, Psalm 119, verse 111. I have determined to follow your word. This shall be my reward for all times. Thirdly, I love him with all my heart and I love my neighbor as myself. You can read that in Matthew 22, verse 37. So what is the highest command? That's what the uh, disciples ask. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your understanding. So how can I honor God by living a holy life because God's a holy God. That's point number four. Point number five, and you can read that at home, Romans 1 verse 16, I honor God if I am not ashamed of the gospel because it says I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and I give God the honor and I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Point number six. And I give honor to God when I say, I live a life that is pleasing to God. Ephesians 5 verse 2, and lead your love life in love, like Jesus himself loved us and gave himself for us as a gift and sacrifice to God, as a pleasing fragrance and offering. So at this time, when we are weighed, it is really my prayer that I and you and all of us in our nations that we won't be found wanting. Are we those or are you one of those who will give honor to God? Or are we like Belshazzar? who take the holy vessels of God, what is sacred, what's been entrusted to us, and mix it with idolatry at this time. Our intellect, our reasoning, our materialism, our own ideas, our ideologies. And now the second story in my last few minutes of this message, it's so important. We find that in Second Kings 5, and Luke also mentions it in Luke 4, verse 27. That is the story of Naaman. Naaman had to learn in his life how to give honor to God. And sometimes we don't even know how to do that. Maybe you don't know how to do that. And the good news is, if you've missed it up to now, you can learn this from Naaman today. Because there still is this time of mercy and grace right now. If I've missed something, I still have the chance to remedy that. It's not too late yet. That's the good news. And the story of Naaman 
says he was a very rich man. He had many possessions. He was famous. He was successful. He had relationships without number. You can read that he was a friend of the king. And I love this idea because it's such a good example and image. We can really imagine this. Like Naaman walks into his bathroom and I don't know what he wants to do, have a shower, have a wash, whatever he does there. And suddenly he sees the first symptoms, little white spots on his skin and his heart becomes rigid with fear. These white spots were his death sentence. All of a sudden, the, the symptoms, symptoms of leprosy. You know, to be uh, a leper meant to be isolated. Immediately, he had to move out from his family. And all of a sudden, we understand, suddenly this becomes very close, right? Corona symptoms, once you have symptoms, you're isolated. Immediately, move away, be isolated, get separated from your family, you're on your own. No medication, maybe. At that time, there was no medication against leprosy. Same thing as today. You had to isolate people. And somehow with uh, leprosy, everyone is the same. And even with the corona pandemic, whether you're rich or poor, there is no difference. Power or no power. Whether it's Boris Johnson, Angela Merkel, Tom Hanks, Prince Charles, there is no difference, right? And the response of Naaman was to quickly put on his clothes again, trying to hide it. But you cannot hide it. And we know that leprosy always is an image for sin. And sin always leads to death. And also sin is something that you first recognize by the symptoms, but then it infects the entire person. So my friends, there's no human being, no nation that can actually downplay the significance of sin or hide it in the long run. Sooner or later, God will reveal everything. And we read how Naaman had a slave girl, a Jewish girl from Israel, and he grasps at that story that she tells him like someone is drowning, a last straw. And she says, go to Israel, go and see the man of God. That's Elisha. And at the end of my message, let's learn from Naaman because he made three mistakes. And let's not repeat those same three mistakes. Because the first mistake was, he tried to buy his healing. That is Second Kings 5 verse 5. We see the king of Aram, Naaman's king, he said, go to Israel, I'll write a letter and I'll give you 10 talents of silver, 10,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. So he thought he could pay for it. And I also was reminded of our time today because we can try and invest all of our money. We can even spend billions in order to increase our economy, but we will not be able to buy our healing. We can't buy salvation. And we cannot pay for our redemption. And God says, I don't want your money. It's good for to have a strong economy, no question. But I don't want your money says the living God. I want your heart. And he says that to you. I don't want your strength, your achievement. I don't want you to function. But at this time, I want your heart. 
because I also want to give my heart to you. And the second mistake that Naaman made was he went to the wrong address, to the wrong place, the wrong person. We see that in verse 7. He went to the king of Israel and he read the letter and tore his clothes and said, Am I God that I can kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to try be cured of leprosy? So yes, we go to doctors, we are so grateful for their uh, knowledge and for everything they do right now in the hospitals, in the pharmacies, and we hope for new uh, medications, new technologies. Many are also desperate, like Naiman was desperate, but just listen. Many are desperate seeking the peace of God at this time because something that no human being, no doctor, no philosopher, no one can give it to you. No one can give you peace with God. No one can save you. Jesus Christ alone can do that. No organization can save you. No church can save you. No philosophy, no human being can save you. It's Jesus alone, the Savior and Redeemer. He is the one to save you and He's here. He did not stay outside your door. He's not just somewhere, but He's right there with you, where you invite Him, where you're willing to meet with Him. So the third mistake, that Naaman had wrong ideas. So he came to Elijah, in the end, with lots of pomp and circumstances, silver and gold, and he wanted to buy the healing. And Elisha just says, he even doesn't go himself, he sends a messenger and says, go to the Jordan, dip down seven times. And Naaman is so upset, he's angry and furious, says, I thought the man of God would come himself, and he had his idea of how this should be done. And this is the same thing happens to our ideas. We have our own ideas of how God should meet with us. We want to tell God how to do things. And almost Naaman would have missed his chance. And so if you're here and you listen to this message, if you're here and you say, hey, I need a touch in my heart, I need Jesus, I need salvation, I need redemption. If you want him to touch your thoughts, if you want him to enter into your life, to meet you as your Lord and Savior, you actually need to meet his requirements and he will come immediately. Just lay down your own ideas, your own thoughts, how this was supposed to happen, what kind of theological way. Just do it as the Word of God says. Throw out your own ideas and simply declare in a childlike prayer that you want to meet with him and he will come immediately. And so Naaman went and dipped down in the dirty J River Jordan once, twice, three times. He was so angry. He said the other rivers are so much more clean. And over and over again, he dipped down seven times and he was restored. His flesh was made whole and he was healed. It says his flesh became whole like the flesh of a young boy and he was cleansed. And the Jordan, and I want to end with this, in the Bible, with all of his floods represents death. And so what did Naaman do? What can we learn from him? 
We learn that we can't buy our healing. And secondly, we know that we mustn't go to the wrong place. And thirdly, we also learn that we must not be governed by our own ideas. But what does Naaman do? Naaman gives honor to God by actually giving his entire life, everything he has, and he lays it into the hands of God. And so I want to ask you, do you want to do the same? It is time that we give honor to Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Naaman gave his life completely into God's hands. And he became cleansed. How about us doing that, wherever we are, wherever you are listening to this message, maybe for the first time you can surrender your own life completely into the hands of God. You give your life into God's hands. That is what it means to honor him. Lord, here is my life with all that I am, spirit, soul, and body, all my fears and emotions. I place them into your hands. So that's an answer, a response. And that's a challenge that we need to answer. And maybe it can be a response for you personally and for us in the nations as well. So we are heading for Passover, for Good Friday. And maybe that can be your prayer. I'd like to encourage you, and especially if you're watching right now, let's all stand together and let's pray this. That we would say, Lord, please forgive me when my life wasn't really giving honor to you. And at the same time, you can say as well, Lord, I give my life into your hands completely. Lord, I submit myself to your guidance. I want you to be Lord over my life. And Father, I thank you that just now you are doing your work in so many. And please, can we have quiet music in the background? But it's the presence of God that's here. And I would like to pray for all those who are not sure whether Jesus really lives in your heart. And you can pray that and say, Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive me that I lived without you. Forgive me, because I was a vessel that was not giving you honor. And so I give my life to you now. And I ask you to please come into my heart now. Please come into my heart and forgive me, Lord, and make me your child. Und ich bekenne, dass du mein Herr und mein And I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Und Jesus, ich danke dir, dass and du Jesus, I thank you that just now you come into the heart mit deiner Liebe, mit deiner with your Gnade, love, mit deiner your grace, your forgiveness, with your salvation and with your redemption. Und vielleicht bist du hier and maybe you're here and you say, well, Jobst, if I look at my life, 
Hat es so viele Bereiche gegeben, da habe ich Gott nicht Ehre gegeben. There's ja, so many areas where I did not give honor to God. Maybe you worshiped, you went to services, worship services, sang songs, but somehow your entire life was not like that. Und da darfst du deine Hand auf dein And then you can place your hand upon your heart now. Jesus um Vergebung bitten, And ask Jesus for forgiveness. And also an identificational repentance for all those people around us. Die aufgehört haben. Who stopped giving honor to God and following him. And you can pray that wherever you are. Lord, I give my entire life to you. Just now, at this time of crisis, I trust you. Transform my life to a life and make it into a life that gives honor to you. In the name of Jesus, Amen. And Amen. And there will be opportunity in a moment that you can pray for one another, pray together with each other. We have almost reached the end of this service. But actually, in your home, the service can continue. We won't leave the stage just yet, but we'll pray for you here. When you pray for each other, maybe you're together in families, or maybe just call one another if you're by yourself. Or if there's nobody there, call us and we will pray for you. Father, thank you for this wonderful time now. And we ask you, Lord, now, give mercy to our nation so we won't be found wanting but that we would be nations that give honor to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.